This is David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a boutique brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a boutique law firm focusing on residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Good morning and welcome to podcast 14 with the David on David on real estate. And here we go again. Oh, I like so it. excited <laughs> to do this again. And uh, we got a beautiful summer day in, uh, in the GTA and lots of business out there and lots of things to talk about as usual. Absolutely. How you doing, David? I'm doing great, Dave. And you know, I, I think I'm feeling like uh, a lot of the other uh, realtors and a lot of uh, our clients are feeling, and I'm feeling a little weather happy. You know, I, I, I'm uh, taking a little bit of time. I'm enjoying the outdoors. And, you know, historically, I always get asked the same question is, uh, you know, how is the market doing? And, and historically, I always give the same answer in the summertime because each summer, every single time the weather gets uh, a little bit nicer, we, we go through the same exact cycles. Um, where people do tend to spend a little bit more time outdoors, where people enjoy the sunshine, where people go to the lake, where people go out to, the, to their cottages, where people get invited to cottages. And, and, and real estate takes to, uh, you know, tends to take a little bit of a backseat. It's, uh, it's still busy out there, but again, you know, we are seeing still a shortage of inventory. Uh, and we are seeing things still move fairly, uh, fairly uh, quickly out there. So with the uh, nice weather and the lack of inventory, we're not seeing as many transactions being done. But the transactions that are being done, you know, the prices are still holding and buyers are still out there looking for, uh, for property. So uh, it's still a busy market out there, but a lot of people are enjoying the really nice weather, the sunshine. Um, they're getting out to their cottages and uh, you know, they're getting their vitamin D from the sun. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, the cottage market is a market that's really strong. We've talked about that a little before, and you can see it when you're up in cottage country, uh, you know, even going through small towns, uh, you know, the one stop sign towns or one traffic light towns up in cottage country, but they've got four or five real estate offices in there. And when you drive through right now, you see people, you know, like at the windows, looking at what's being advertised at the windows, uh, you know, all the time, like everybody's curious, everybody's taking a look, some are, you know, are in the hunt and, uh, and lots of people are in the hunt. And we've talked about before, I think it's an enhanced market because of lifestyle changes that people have realized uh, through COVID and, and appreciating the outdoors and wanting that outdoor space and wanting that getaway space and uh, so, so that market is, is certainly buzzing. Oh, yeah. Prices are ridiculously high. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, which, which creates a bit of a frenzy for more people to try and, well, I got to get in on the market. I got to get something before, it, you know, before it gets too crazy. Right. So you see a lot of that type of activity right now. Yeah, and then historically for the cottage market, I mean, this is the prime time to really showcase your cottage. You know, it's uh, 
It's beautiful weather. And, and, and remember, David, when you go three, four hours up north, the weather changes also a little bit, right? So, but I mean, there's, there's no better weather than now to list a cottage, to showcase your cottage, to show off your cottage. And, and, and there are a lot of people in cottage country that are really taking advantage of the heated market that we have. And, and they are choosing to, to list, right? Because of the record prices that they're getting. So uh, we are seeing inventory levels come up a little bit in cottage country. We're, se we're seeing things sell quite a bit as well. And um, actually, I think I read somewhere that your office is now open in the Muskokas or, or is acting for people in the Muskokas as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got, uh, we're in the Gravenhurst area. Very cool. In Muskoka. And uh, we've got some some signs up there and we've got, uh, an, you know, an office that we use up there. And uh, the reality is, you know, most of the closings, you know, we're still doing through our GTA offices. And most closings these days we're doing, you know, with virtual meetings still instead of in-person meetings. But we still have a presence up in, in cottage country. We've been doing, you know, we've, we've always done uh, transactions in cottage country. We've been doing a lot more of it. And just our, our reputation has been enhanced for, for being up there. And we've got some, some signs in different places in the Gravenhurst area now and in, in an office location. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's led to some more, you know, more, more inquiries and, and more questions. And, and we've done a lot more cottage transactions the last year and a half, I say, uh, you know, as that market has increased and, and as we've had more of a presence. And what happens like with everything, you know, we, we do a cottage transaction for one person and uh, they tell somebody else, oh, you know, who acted on your cottage? Oh, Corman's did. Oh, I, you know, sometimes, oh, I didn't realize Corman's does cottage where they could do stuff up there. But, you know, the reality is we can close a transaction anywhere in Ontario. And, uh, and, we, and we can do that from Mississauga or Toronto or, or our Markham office. Um, so, um, we, we've done lots of that and it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. Cottages are interesting. Uh, there's always interesting things. There's, there's always title search issues and septic issues and sewage issues and water potability issues and conservation issues, like completely yeah, different ballgame yeah. than in residential. Yeah. So it gets your attention when you're, when you're working on a cottage. And then I just, you know, you just, I'm always curious, you know, the beauty of the cottages and the beauty of the lakes and everything. It's just. It's, it's a fun thing to be part of. Yeah, it's a very Canadian thing to be part of too, I think. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, we appreciate it. Like you mentioned with our weather, the weather's great and, you know, feeling of getting out and things like that. I think we appreciate even more because we know we have a limited period of time to do it. It's not a year round thing, you know, although, you know, a lot of cottages are used year round, but it's different in the different seasons. But our summer, spring, summer season is so short you know, here. So I think everyone just appreciates the opportunity when you get up north, you know, June, July, August, uh, you know, up to Labor Day, and then it's, you know, then it changes. And, then the, and like you said, the weather changes quickly if you're three hours north of here, too. It really does. But Dave, what I, what I enjoy a lot about your law firm, and I mean, I'm speaking from personal experiences, you know, I, I, I find that when you cultivate a relationship, and, and there's a level of trust with, with who you're dealing with, it's nice to be able to go back to that same place to, to handle multiple transactions that you're doing in a lifetime, right? So, you know, if I'm doing a commercial transaction, if I'm buying a residential house, if I'm buying a cottage, you know, that one client can come to your law, law firm and get, you know, consistent uh, service uh, on, on everything they do. And then I think there's a real benefit to that, right? For both the client and the law firm, there's a relationship there. You guys know me, you know how, 
you know, my, uh, uh, some of my legal entities are set up, uh, how, how all they sort of work together, and you're able to just give me good advice and, and, and you know, that trust level continues through um, everything that sort of, uh, you know, your customers are, are en endeavoring to do. And I think there's, you know, a big, big benefit to that. So, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, when we started doing some commercial transactions, when we tr started doing some mergers and acquisitions, um, and you, I mean, you guys acted for us uh, on, on all those and, and it's been great. And, you know, that relationship keeps building. So um, I think it's really important for a law firm to, you know, cultivate that level of service with, with their clients and be able to be there for them, you know, through all their milestones in their life. Well, that's, that's really nice of you to say, David. And that's, you know, I, I guess, you know, one of our goals has been achieved if you, you know, someone like you feels that way, because we're certainly striving to do that and you know and we can't provide you know every single type of legal service uh you know that someone could come across but a lot of the basics we do you know we start with with real estate transactions but we but we can also do wills as you know and 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 some estate administrations we're doing wills and power of attorney for our clients all the time and uh, and then on the commercial side you know we can you know we do a lot of commercial leasing industrial office leasing, things like that. Uh, so we, we do that for clients. We can incorporate companies and do small business transactions, purchase and sale of businesses and shareholder agreements and things like that. So, you know, we, we provide a, you know, a, a range of services and like, and we hope that every client will take advantage of that. And, and then, like I say, you know, if they need a criminal lawyer, we're not, we're not doing that. Uh, we got to refer you out for something like that. So search out of trouble. Uh, but we'll help you find someone if you need one. But uh, but we we do we try and do what we do very well and and look after our clients. And it's it's great when we get to know our clients that way because um, you know and the and the history we have with clients and doing multiple transactions over a period of time and then the next generation of clients. Oh, I've got you did my closing so many years ago and now you know my son or my daughter is buying their first property. Can you help them out? You know I love getting those type of calls. So. It, it's great. And that's what we do. And, and we're going to continue to do that with, with our next generation of lawyers too. No, it's fabulous. And again, it's about building relationship with one client relationships with one client at a time. Right. I mean, yeah. if I, if I bought a cottage and I had to go to a different law firm for them to close a cottage, um, you know, it, uh, it wouldn't be the same experience. Right. But if I can go to the same law firm for more, actions and you guys are able to assist me each and every single time i think that works really well for the client yeah yeah i appreciate your words david no problem so looking at some statistics and some numbers i love looking at these just uh you know they really give us an overview of really what's happening in the market and a couple of things here really stand out at me the first thing being the average sales price okay so year over year we're down one percent Right. And uh, historically, if we take a look at what happened uh, towards the end of July 2020, that's really when, um, you know, some of the restrictions started getting uh, uh, lessened a little bit and, and people really went out into the market in a really, really big way and started really transact transacting a lot in, uh, uh, in real estate. I, I don't know if you remember those times, David, but uh, it was extremely busy, right? So just to see that uh, just 1% off from those high levels in price um, is great. The yeah, month over 1 month. 1% from a level that was, you know, almost ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? yeah. Uh, it was I just, don't can see this as a downturn. 
No, not at all. It's impossible to sustain that. 100%. And that's what I tell my agents is like, you know, uh, I like stability, right? So when I see some of these numbers, I, I, I see that, you know, it, it's stabilizing a little bit, which is exactly what we kind of want to see right now, right? Um, number of new listings down 42% month over month. Um, so, you know, that's, that's concerning, but again, it's, you know, last year you have to remember there was a bottleneck, right? So nobody listed in, um, April, May, June, we started seeing a little bit more, uh, listings coming on the market. And in July, all those people that didn't list in April, May, you know, started coming to, onto the market as, as people started understanding what COVID is and, uh, started feeling more comfortable with the situation. So last July, you know, there was an influx of inventory in the historical level. So again, when I look at these numbers, you know, it makes sense that we're, we're seeing, uh, some, some lower numbers here this July, a year later when we're comparing to that period of time. Well, your, your explanations are fabulous because it goes to the old adage like that statistics lie. Right. You can't just look at the statistics last July, this July and say, oh, there's there's this change. You have to you have to look. Why is there this change? And your explanation of the bottleneck is 100 percent true. So you, you've got to factor that in. And then when you factor that in, you realize, no, you know, like there isn't that much of a change. There was something unusual that happened last July. Yeah. Right. If we look at the four month average of, of 2020 to 2021, I bet you the numbers are gonna be very consistent, right? Uh, but when you look at July to July, I mean, it, you know, the bottleneck happened, you know, people didn't know COVID, people didn't understand how it impacts them. People didn't want strangers in their houses, right? So uh, April, May, people just didn't come to the market. You know, it was quiet when nothing was happening in, in, in real estate, right? There was a period where, you know, buyers are still looking, right? But there was zero inventory coming on the market. And then in the summer months, as the restrictions started easing, as the government started, you know, um, letting go of some of those restrictions, people came to the market in a big way, right? So now when we look at um, what's going on this July, all the numbers are lower. Of course they're lower, right? Because we're, we're not dealing with a bottleneck that happened in 2020. Right. Right. But if you take a look at the pricing, you know, it's only a 1% difference, right? So, I mean, that really speaks uh, quite a bit as to what the market is doing, right? And the average day on the market is, is creeping up a little bit. Month over month, we're plus 6%. So, but again, if, if you take a look at historically what happened last year to what's going on this year, um, you know, it, it's still real estate is selling in record prices and uh, and timing. And the year over year statistics on the average day on the market are down 15%, which means that houses are selling 15% slower than they were last year. Um, sorry, 15% faster. Houses are selling 15% faster this year, um, which is phenomenal, right? It's just, uh, we can't keep inventory out there. Yeah, well, in a typical year, remember remember the world when there wasn't COVID. So forget about 2021 and 2020. In a typical July, you know, what generally would happen to the market? You know, what are the real estate agents generally doing in July and August? Um, you know, a lot of the good agents, a lot of the successful agents are taking time off. Right. They, they're busy like crazy in the spring. Yeah. Right. Going like like gangbusters from you know February March on like right through June, 
And, um, you know, and then they know that some of their, the clients are going to be disappearing too. People are taking vacation. You know, we're talking normal years. People, yeah. you know, kids are out of school. Kids are, people are going away. They're taking vacations. They're, they want to enjoy the summer months. So a lot of the, the busy, really good agents use the summer too, to take time off and catch their breath a little bit. And then again for the fall market, right? Yeah. And Dave, I don't blame them because I mean, I, I know the type of hours that agents are putting in, you know, these agents, they, they're working 24 hours, seven days a week. They're looking, they're hustling, they're knocking on doors, they're canvassing. Um, you, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot involved in, in uh, you know, in transacting real estate. And I know that a lot of agents get burnt out by the time they come to the summer after the spring market, right? So, right. Um, you know, that's, that accounts for a bit of the slowdown as well. You know, if you have a loyal client uh, that you've been dealing with for 15 years and they call you and say, hey, I want to list my house, you're going to tell them, you know what, um, wait until the fall. Fall is a better market, right? right. And, and again, it, you know, you're, you're artificially manipulating the market a little bit by doing that, right? In the fall, you see number of listings go up, you know, all the agents go back to work and, and all of a sudden the, the you know, the machine starts, uh, starts spinning again. Right. You know, there, there's some that, that I know use the strategy. Well, you know, let, we can put it up in the summer because uh, there'll be less competition out there. There's less listings out there. We might, you know, catch a little lightning in the bottle because we might get multi offers because we're the only one in the neighborhood that's going up for sale right now. So sometimes, you know, you know, people will be able to take advantage of a strategy like that. But overall, there's usually this, you know, this slowdown over the summer months, both because, you know, the agents want to take some time and because consumers basically want to take some time, focus on other things and, you know, and then and then gear up again for the fall. Right. One thousand percent. And then last year, this year, we have these a bit of anomalies because because we were prevented from from having a normal market in the spring months so it, it just pushes stuff into the summer well if we couldn't do it in the spring uh you know let's get it done in july and august right yeah last year we really had no slowdown the the summer was busy all the way through and that's uh unusual in our real estate market because right. historically you know it uh it, it doesn't transact like that so um it was very different um for all of us but, you know, we were dealing with a pandemic and, and real estate was still, uh, you know, top of mind for everybody, especially in Canada. Hey, we were just thrilled we were able to work. When you look back at it, we were thrilled there was, there was transactions, we weren't shut down and there, were, there was some activity and we could still be, you know, running our respective uh, firms and, and employing people and, and having some activity at whatever level we could do it at, right? I remember those COVID clauses that we went through as well with your office. And, you know, uh, a lot of them, uh, I, I remember, dealt with transactions not being able to close, especially right. at the very beginning, just right. because nobody knew what the landscape's going to look like. Nobody knew if, you know, the land registry is going to operate. Nobody knew if, if, if banking is going to operate. Nobody really knew how uh, we would adapt and how everything would kind of roll out. And then very quickly, um, you know, we found out that we, we were classified as an essential service, right? The land registry was classified as an essential service. The financial institutions were classified as a financial service. Everybody adapted to the work at home model. Everybody went digital. I mean, your office went through a phenomenal transformation in, in how, 
you know, you guys sign, how you interact with clients. And, and you know, to a lot, to, to, to a huge degree, it made it so much easier for clients to be able to uh, close transactions with virtual signings, right? People yeah. didn't have to take time off work and come into the office and take, uh, you know, hours of, of their, their day to come and sign the paperwork. They're, they're just doing it, uh, you know, electronically. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's been working phenomenally well. Yeah, no, it's worked really well. And, and I think that'll be here to stay, you know, as, as things open up and we get back to a more normal life. Um, I, I do hope we get back to meeting clients in person for the sign up because there's still something to be said about the face-to-face -face meetings and having the handshake to congratulate someone. Like it's a big deal when someone buys a, buys or sells a property or, you know, it's their home, it's their cottage, it's or an investment property, whatever, you know, so I, I hope we get back to that because I miss that. But we certainly don't have to when when it's not necessary, and and it, it, so we, so there's just certain conveniences that have been developed, and that that's probably here to stay, uh, to some degree. So you know, it's funny how you, you look back at it now, David. You know, over a year later, and say, and you think it happened relatively fast that we were just that the government decided we're essential services. Those days and weeks, you know, until we got to that point, it felt like months and years at the time. You know, when we when we didn't. No, then minutes felt long. I remember you and I were on a phone call, I think like at 11 p.m. at night when that list came up and we were, you know, right. looking where we are in the lists, our respective businesses and, and you know, right. what the next day is going to look like. And, and I mean, I remember those times very clear. And I even remember, you know, where I was and and, uh, you know, the emotions and, and everything that we were going through. But, um, you and know, if we I recall were, correctly, I think our list came out. It may have been later in the same day, or it may have been a day later than the Quebec list came out. Yes. They came out first yep. and they said we were not essential. In Quebec. We're, we're shutting it down there, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and so, you and we were talking about that just as the list came out and we're like, oh my God, like that's gonna happen to us. You know, what are, you know, what's everything gonna look like? Now, I don't actually know if Quebec actually shut down real estate services. Did they shut, shut down? If they did, it was for a very short period of time. Period of time. You know, they weren't considered essential when the first list came out. And, uh, but then mm -hmm. Ontario didn't follow suit. And, and, and I don't recall, but I, I don't think it lasted very long in Quebec. So I think they figured out there's ways to do it. And, and, you know, got it open again there. But I'll tell you, there was a lot of anxious moments there. Yeah. I, you know, I, and I still feel bad for some <laughs> friends of mine that are in industries that, that were shut down, like way worse than what you and I have had to go through. No, 100%, 100%. But, you know, I, I think these tough times, you know, David, when you speak to anybody that has good character, you know, and you look at their past, good character is seldom built uh, when people have it easy in life, right? And, um, you know, I, I know that a lot of businesses, even in Ontario that were shut down, like restaurants and then food services, they've adapted too. Right. Like I, I talked to some of the restaurants around Streetsville and, uh, you know, they got really busy in the whole takeout aspect. Right. You know, and they sort of figured that portion of the business out extremely well. And, and you know, all of a sudden during lunch, during, you know, hours that they typically weren't very busy. Now they were because they were doing food deliveries. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have been doing really, really well as well. Right. So you know, the businesses that actually did pivot and adapt with the times and, and, and change their practices um, actually did extremely well during COVID. 
Yeah, and and some of them were able to get the outdoor patio areas up and running for those that that had space somewhere that could do it. And and if you remember back when they were first allowed to do it, you know, it was very temporary looking structures with you know pylons being put up to mark off an area. And and that sort of evolved into you know much more permanent type of uh, of outdoor space with you know with with plants and and tents and you know decorations and sound systems and and everything and a lot of uh, you know a lot of the restaurant bar owners did a really good job of doing that and, and I hope they're all going to be allowed to continue to do that and I, I think the government I, I'm hoping will relax some of the restrictions that they used to impose on on people for for patio space. And make it easier for them. They used to make it so hard for them to, to license patio space. And, yeah. and again, like our seasons are so short. Like let these people do it. Let let us sit outside for a few months of the year instead of inside. Like that's another thing. I hope the genie never goes back in the bottle. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree a thousand percent. And you know, I think everybody's kind of uh, looking for getting out there and, and and going a little weather happy and patio happy and again that that goes you know to the to exactly how we started uh, today's conversation this is people are going out there and they're enjoying themselves and they should yeah yeah that's great so I think, uh, today we wanted to jump in into uh, a great topic and it's a topic that comes up a lot and we talk about it a lot and that's uh, condominium status certificates yeah, and it's it's an interesting topic, and in our, our last podcast we we talked a little about you know, what happened in in South Florida with the collapse of that condominium down there, and uh, you know, and it, we know it's going to take a long time till they really figure out everything that happened that caused it, but it certainly gave a lot of people concern. There's you know concern for you know people in similar buildings in in, in South Florida, but but even people here. Uh, looking at oh I'm, I live in a condo too and you know could that happen to us and uh, so you know how is our protection any different or you know, what type of risks do we have living in a, in a high-rise building here uh, could that happen here you know and the good news is even in Florida these buildings don't fall down every day this was an anomaly it was probably a perfect storm of you know a condo built 40 years ago built on a beach and that we know from what we've been told so far has was not maintained probably probably adequately over the years and things shift and it's built on on a beach on sand and then there's other factors with construction of a major uh, project right next door that's causing issues to to this property and and there was roof work being done like there was probably a bunch of factors that may have contributed to an ultimate collapse so everybody's scrambling now to, you know, to look at their own condominium and say, you know, how, how can we make sure this doesn't happen? So, you know, the good news for those of us in Ontario is that our, our laws are, are better, <laughs> quite frankly, than a lot of laws are in South Florida when it comes to condominiums. And, and that's um, like we have things embedded in our condominium laws and the Condominium Act that ensure that the condominium owners take a look at their building on a regular basis and do studies on a regular basis within every three years to determine whether or not there's any potential uh, you know a major damage that has to be repaired so like as you know in any building you know even if you're in your own residential home 
most of the time there's repairs every year you got to fix something there's always something that's repair repair maintenance repair maintenance repair maintenance eventually things have to be replaced because certain things have a life you know a roof can be repaired many times but it's got a 15-year life or it's got a 20-year life or a 25-year life or whatever it has eventually it has to be repaired right so when you're looking at condominium buildings it's it's no different it's even uh, more important to look at it because of the, the size of the structure you know they've got underground parking garages uh, with columns that support the whole building the foundations there uh, you know people are driving parking their cars and banging into these columns all the time and yeah. there's natural crumbling right so you know so the question is you know, is anybody looking at this is anybody studying it right and as you know the, the way the law works you it, you're mandated to look at this on a regular basis. Every condominium corporation in Ontario has to conduct what's called a reserve fund study every three years. And as part of that, that's exactly what they're looking for. They're, they're retaining you know, engineers to look at it, to look at the structure of the building, to look at the parking garage, to look at the roof, look at the roof membrane, look at the elevators, look at the common element amenities, the swimming pool, all the other structures and everything and figure out what over the next number of years is going to have to be repaired and just maintained and what eventually is going to be replaced and make sure there's enough money available to do those replacements as they come due. And that's, uh, you know, that's really important for a number of reasons, right? But it's there to really protect everybody at the same time. Right. And and, you know, and who owns the condominium? It's the same question. I'm sure a lot of discussions in Florida, right? With this building, it's owned by the people that live there. It's owned by a lot of the people that unfortunately were killed in this accident. And some of those people probably attended meetings because there'd be an annual meeting every year to discuss the budget and discuss what has to be repaired and what has to be replaced and money that has to be spent to fix the building. And some of those people probably voted against spending that money because they're the owners it's not the people that built it 40 years ago okay it's the same thing in ontario some developer builds a condominium in ontario they build this beautiful project they sell out all the units so now people buy the units within a year of the of the corporation of the condominium's first year the condominium corporation is handed over by the developer to the actual owners of the units it's their building Okay, they own their individual unit and they all share in the common elements of the building. So the developer's job is finished. They hand it over. A condominium corporation is created. They elect a board of directors. They, they hire property managers to look after it and they're on their own. Okay, now it's regulated. They got to follow things in the Condominium Act, but they're the ones now running the building. They're now the ones making decisions on on every year to put a budget together, what has to be repaired, what has to be replaced, what has to be maintained. And then every three years, they have to do this more comprehensive reserve fund study. And every year there'll be a meeting of the owners and everybody's entitled to attend and vote and decide what they're going, what the budget's gonna be for the year and make sure there's enough money. And it's, it's not the developer anymore, okay? Now, if the developer built something and there were certain deficiencies that become apparent a year or two later, you know, sometimes we see lawsuits against developers because maybe they didn't do something properly. So we see that sometimes. Um, and, and there's uh, tearing warranty protection for some of that as well. But there's lawsuits 
you know, for developers that, that don't do it, but, but those are usually attacked very early on in the life of a condominium to get those things fixed. And then it's an ongoing process where it's the owners that have the responsibility to make sure that this, that the building is maintained properly. Okay. David, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Okay. I'm curious what your uh, response is going to be, but would you, in your opinion, would you say that these um, bureaucratic uh, processes that are in place are partially responsible for some of the high prices we're seeing in the condo market? Mm. Uh, well, that, that's interesting. You know, when we look, you know, not all condominiums are, are the same. Some are obviously more attractive than others. But if you're going to look, if you're going to buy a condominium, you want to buy one that's in a healthy building. Right. That's you look at the the condominium status certificate. We're looking to see what the budget is. We're looking to see the reserve fund. We're looking to see how much money they've got there, and and whether there's lots of money there, and it's more than adequate. There'll be a statement in there whether it's adequate for the future of the building. So if you're buying something in a healthy building, you're going to pay more money to go in that building than if you're than if you're buying a unit in a condominium that doesn't have as much money in reserve fund and, and will have to replenish it um, or you, you get or, or you'd see that there's ongoing battles every year because there's a reluctance of the owners to spend more money to fix it to fix everything up to a higher standard so those affect market conditions yep right? and i i think it's actually more important to buy in a healthy building than it is to focus on the actual unit that you're buying, right? And I mean, we all know those condominiums are on the blacklist and you know, have, have budget issues, have deficiencies, have structural issues with the parking lot, you know, the elevator constantly breaks down and, and there's nothing worse than living in a building that is uh, you know, unsafe or, or unhealthy financial wise. It just, it, it creates a bad situation. And I think a lot of unit owners take you know, that aspect of condo living for granted, because they're just assuming that, you know what, I live in this building and, you know, everything's being taken care of. But um, I encourage people to, you know, get a little bit more involved to, to really find out, you know, what's going on, to look at budgets, to question some of these things. And, and a lot of the times there's, there's always room for improvements. There's always room for process improvements. And, you know, it's uh, really important to get involved and, and really know what's happening uh, in, in your own building. But I, I think you have an excellent point, David. I think there's so many check and balances in our condominium act, especially with the three-year uh, reserve fund uh, mandate that we have to really um, stay on top of all the issues, stay up top of maintenance, stay on top of the reserve fund, making sure that, you know, everything's working well, making sure that, you know, you have uh, engineering firms are actually looking at every single building and, and making a determination if it's safe, if, if, if there's anything that needs to be addressed right away. And, and there's even timelines for all those maintenance issues. So anytime you buy in a building, if you review the status uh, document, documents properly and pay attention, I mean, you know what, you know, what to really expect. You know, 
if the building is well managed in a financial level, you know, if the uh, monthly um, maintenance fee is going to be increasing and how much it's going to be increasing. And you can do a projection of exactly what the major expenditures are over the next couple months, years, and, and decades even, right? You can see, you know, the useful life uh, remaining on the windows, on the roof. You can see what major expenditures are being planned for the parking facilities, for the elevators. And, you know, if you really take a look at those condominiums documents, you know very well what's really happening and what, you know, this, the financial snapshot of that building really looks like. And it's really important to pay attention to that stuff. Um, because the worst thing you want to do is buying a building that's not healthy or that has issues because you're going to be stuck with those issues for a long time. A lot of these issues are big issues or major issues. Um, and, uh, you know, they do take some time to get resolved most of the time. Yeah. And, and it's important, you know, in your role, you know, as a real estate agent is just as important as our role as, as lawyers in, in understanding and reviewing status certificates. Like you don't want to, you don't want to take clients to show them unhealthy buildings in no. the first place, right? So you're, you're generally showing them something that you, you believe from the best information you have that you think it's healthy, but you're not really going to know for sure until we actually see a current status certificate, not a status certificate from last year or six months ago or even two months ago. We, we want to see a current status certificate all the time. And some people have a misapprehension of what a status certificate is. It's not just the four or five pages that sort of summarizes and that's actually called the status certificate. By law, the status certificate includes a whole bunch of other documents. It includes the declaration that created the condominium, it includes all the bylaws, it includes the financial statements, it includes the reserve fund study, it includes the rules and regulations, you know, the, the budget. All that's really part of the status certificate. The insurance certificate, all the insurance information, make sure your place is adequately insured. These are documents are all really technically by the economy Act considered part of the status certificate that has to be provided. So we need to look at up-to-date information on this to, to check it out. Okay, and, and uh, what you're mentioning about the maintenance fees and the other term for that is, is the common expenses. It's the, it's the same thing. So you're paying a monthly fee, okay? The way that's determined is, is by an annual budget that's put together by the property manager and it goes to the board of directors and they approve it and they bring it to the whole ownership group. And they vote on this. So this is how much money we got to spend this year to maintain the building, okay? To cover all the costs, you know, the landscaping, the snow plowing, fixing the elevator, whatever is in that budget, right? But there's part of that, an element of that is a contribution on a monthly basis to the reserve fund. So if you're paying $500 a month in your common expenses, it might be that $50 a month of that is going to replenish the reserve fund. So there's always money coming in to the reserve fund to, to make sure that's replenished. And part of the status certificate has to be a statement by, you know, by the economy corporation that how much money is in the reserve fund. And you know whether it's an audited statement or an unaudited statement for how much is there. And also a statement of whether that's adequate to, for the purposes of the reserve fund study to cover what's coming up in future years. And if it's not, that's when the condominium has to take special measures to try and replenish it, to do special assessments of some sort or to borrow money to make sure there's enough money to cover those future expenditures. They know the roof's got to be replaced. They know the columns in the underground parking garage need some major structural work coming up in the next year. Or two. They have to make sure there's enough money. 
Okay. And that's the great thing of our system compared to the Florida system. There's lots of examples in Florida because they don't have that requirement to have that reserve fund study done and to make sure there's money in the reserve fund to fix up common elements. And wow. there's many examples in Florida where, where the common elements just got abandoned for years because there wasn't any money available to fix up these things. And fortunately, a lot of those buildings didn't fall down, but people were living for many years in some of these buildings without having a swimming pool and proper parking facilities and, and, the, and the workout facilities because there was no money to fix them or maintain them because they didn't have enough money in the reserve fund. Okay. Wow. It's I can't imagine, uh, you know, not having that protection of, of the system that we have. I mean, you know, um, life happens and, 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 you know, living in these buildings, there's complicated systems, you know, there's boilers, there's uh, heating uh, and air conditioning unit, yeah. there's elevators, there's, there's some major, major, major systems in these buildings and how they operate. And uh, if you don't maintain them on a regular basis and get them looked after, um, you know, they deteriorate and they deteriorate quicker than when they are maintained, right? So, um, you know, and, and, and it all affects value, right? So right. The unit owners are thinking, hey, I'm saving $20 a month because, you know, my maintenance fees just got decreased, but over the long run of their, you know, asset uh, investment, they're actually losing a lot more than, than they're saving by, by the lower maintenance fees. Uh, in those examples in Florida, right? Because their asset is actually deteriorating in value, right? Imagine going to look at a condominium and uh, asking your realtor, hey, let me uh, let me take a look at the amenities. And the realtor is like, oh, sorry, but the fourth floor is off limits because, uh, you know, it's just uh, a little moldy right now. We haven't been using it for the last four years. Right? Right. Like, I mean, that affects value, right? Would you want to live in a building like that and, and inherit that that headache? Because at some point, it's going to have to get dealt with. Yeah, and, you know, there's other examples in, in states, including Florida. Their, their whole system of uh, real estate is a little different than ours. You know, they have what, in, in Florida for years, they had what's called non-recourse financing. And that caused a lot of condominiums to get in trouble too. So here, if you, you buy a property, you buy a condominium and you get a mortgage from a bank, yeah. if you default on your mortgage, the bank you know, can sell the condominium to recover whatever, they, maybe they get all their money back. But if they don't, they can come after you individually, you personally for the shortfall. Right. You know, they sue you and, they, and if you don't, you don't have money to pay, they get a judgment against you. To, eventually they'll collect or they can collect against other assets that you might own. But in Florida, they had a system of non-recourse financing. So they would give a mortgage to someone to buy a condominium, but the only security they had was the condominium themselves. So if the owner defaulted, uh, they could sell the condominium, but they can't go back after the owner for against any other assets. So we've had a few examples when the market really went bad down there and owners were defaulting on their mortgages and they just said to the bank, oh, you know, here's the keys, you know, goodbye, I'm leaving. And now the, the banks got the asset, um, sometimes which hasn't been maintained. The condominium owner wasn't make, paying their, their common expenses. A lot of other owners in the same building were in the same situation. The banks didn't wanna pay for the common expenses. They're waiting just to sell the property. And now nobody's paying the common expenses. There's no money to, to maintain the building. 
And these right. buildings just deteriorated for years and got stuck um, because there's a bunch of units that were, you know, that people owned, especially in, in a place like Florida, where people aren't necessarily living there. These are investment properties or, or seasonal properties they're going to use for a few months a year and stuff like that. And people are just walking away and not contributing to their common expenses. And all of a sudden the buildings had no money to fix things up. So the good news is in Ontario, that doesn't happen here that way. You know, we do have some buildings that get in trouble for various reasons, but we look at the status certificate just for that to see which are the healthier buildings. Yeah. And one of the first things that we look at in status certificate is, is the unit in arrears for, for their common fees, right? Because, you know, that uh, we take that very seriously. And, and one of the reasons we take that seriously is that the uh, condo, um, common expenses actually go in front of a mortgage when it comes to collection right and that's another reason why uh yes. you know the system works and 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 it's safe and it's designed to really protect the condominium at all costs right and when if a condominium is, uh, owner is behind in their payments the condominium corporation can put a lien on that property and, sue them right and ultimately they could sell that unit based on, on the lien in order to recover the, the common expense shortfall, right? Because it's really critical to the building to constantly have everybody contribute. Yeah. And if they have to go that route to get the money, then they, they're going to get the money because it's really, and I can tell you, you know, from going through it with clients and I've been on both sides of it the fees that are charged by the lawyers that act for the condominium corporations to collect those lien amounts are outrageous to some extent. Like I've seen many examples, you know, like, you know, there's a, you know, $2,000 shortfall they're trying to collect and the legal fees are $7,000, you know, to put the lien on, to make demand, to, to, to bring a motion to court, to get the, you know, to collect, to get the lien off, like far exceeds the amount they're trying to collect. But they'll get every penny of it. And if they have to sell the building, to sell the unit to get it, they'll get it, right? And once that lien's on, you know, the owner can, can still sell their unit, but that lien's going to have to be paid off from the proceeds, like you said, ahead of everything else. Ahead of everything else, yeah. But and that keeps the system safe, and that's really what makes it work so well. Right, like, right. These rules are really designed to protect the building, right? To make sure right. that cash flow is not affected, to make sure that, you know, if a major repair has to happen, uh, that the building has enough funds and, and it gives the building authority to, um, you know, really conduct themselves that way. So, I mean, it makes sense. Like when I, when I look at our condominium laws and, and, and all the safeguards and how registration works and how the reserve fund works and, um, you know, how everything's structured, the fact that, you know, the buildings have to give a status certificate within 10 days of it being requested. Like there's a process for everything. Um, and the process is there to make sure that it's safe, reliable, and, uh, and, and that it works. Right. And it's built right into the, to the law. You request status, you got to pay a hundred bucks. Like, you know, it's a statutory, it's the amount is controlled. It's not kind of corporate making up hundred bucks, you get the statute, they got to get it to you within 10 days and it has to contain certain information. And once you have that and we review it, you as an owner or potential buyer can rely on that information produced by the condominium corporation. So if it turns out they made a mistake or they made an error, 
that's on now on the condominium corporation. You can rely on the information that they've given to you. And if they, they manage it, then you can go back against the condominium corporation for that. But like you said, this is all to protect the non-defaulting owner of a unit. If you're in a 400 unit building and you're paying your fair share of con expense, you want to make sure everybody else is paying their share too, right? So that there's always money. So you want them to be aggressive and enforce it against everybody else. You want their to be the mechanism to enforce it, to make sure everybody else is paying. And that's why that's why we have a, like a healthy market in condominiums here. Like it, it works because our, our laws are way better than what they're experiencing in Florida and some of the other states. A hundred percent. So David, I have another tough question for you. I love tough questions. <laughs> I don't always have the right answers, but I love the questions. So if you were purchasing a condominium that had a major lawsuit against it would you go ahead and buy in that building uh yes and no how's that for an answer so a, we have lawyer's look, answer <laughs> yeah yeah so we have to look at what the lawsuit's about and that's what we do and review a status certificate now when when anybody is suing someone uh sometimes they don't know what their actual damages are going to be so they just name a number in the statement of claim so what we find when we look at status certificates, a lot of times there's lawsuits against the condominium corporation, but a lot of them end up being for personal injury, like slip and fall type of thing. Someone was there, could have been an owner, could have been a visitor, and they fell somewhere in the common elements and hurt themselves. So they sue the condominium corporation. So at the time they issue the lawsuit, sometimes they don't know exactly what their damages are, or how hurt they were, how much work they missed, things like that. So they name an amount. So they might say, oh, you know, it's $2 million, but you know, their actual damages at the end of the day might be $20,000, but they name an amount when they issue a statement of claim. So we don't get scared off just because we see that there's a statement of claim issued for $2 million. We've got to look what it is. Now, if it happens to be a slip and fall, that's going to be covered by the condominium's insurance. So when we're doing a status review, we really just want to make sure they've got proper insurance coverage. So if it's something like a slip and fall that the, the condominium corpse is being sued for, we know that that's going to be defended by the insurance company. And if ultimately an amount has to be paid, it's paid for from insurance proceeds. It's not paid for by the condominium corporation, by the reserve fund or anything like that, as long as there's enough insurance coverage. So we have to look for that. So something like that, I don't, I, we don't get scared of, you know, we wouldn't tell someone, you know, don't go ahead because there's a couple lawsuits against the condominium corporation, but they happen to be for slip and falls. It's no different if you go to a shopping mall and you fall in, in you fall in a store that because they, they, there was water on the floor, you might sue the store owner, but you might also sue the, sue the, the owner of the mall too, right? Or if it's in the common element of the mall, you're going you're gonna to sue the owner, but they have insurance for that. So that's really what that is. Now, sometimes we look and there's lawsuits against, a lot of times it's lawsuits by the condo corporation against the developer because there may have been deficiencies in what they built, right? Like I mentioned before. So sometimes you look at the lawsuits and it's really that. And sometimes as part of that, maybe the developer is counterclaiming for something that the condominium corporation did. Maybe they were supposed to take over looking after something and they're counterclaiming saying, well, you're alleging we built something deficiently. No, we actually built it good. You didn't maintain it properly in the first year or two. And that's why there's this problem. So sometimes there's a counterclaim. So we got to look at that and try and find out like, you know, what's, you know, is that count, is there validity to the counterclaim and, and what's the potential to, to that? 
And then if it's maybe it's a $500,000 potential claim against the condominium corporation, again, that's going to be divided up by all the owners and there might be monies to cover that. There might be insurance involved. So we got to take a look at it. But there aren't too many lawsuits that, that really scare us that much, but we have to look at the underlying factors behind them to see what it's really about. Mm. And so if you can't get that information, sorry, sometimes the answer is, you know, we, we don't know and we've got to make a decision right now whether you're putting an offer in. And sometimes it's just because we can't get enough information, let's pass and go find another building where we don't have that issue because there's that uncertainty and we just don't have the information. Sometimes a, a good situation uh, or a good way to handle a situation like that is to do a holdback, right? Where the seller, uh, you know, leaves $5,000 in trust uh, for a period of a year or two until the lawsuit can be resolved. Yeah, if we can get enough comfort factor that, that that's an appropriate amount, that that's what the most exposure could be to an right. individual owner on that. It's sometimes hard to quantify. But, you know, if someone wants the property bad enough, then, you know, we, we sometimes we try and negotiate something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and looking at the loss, it also points towards possible problem areas in the building, right? So if the building's suing the developer, right, they write in the lawsuit, they're like, okay, this, these are the issues in the building, right? So, I mean, again, it, it kind of points, you know, in the right direction in terms of really doing your due diligence and understanding what's really happening with the building. So right. um, great source of information for that as well. Right. And then we want to know like, okay, if, if we know that there's certain deficiencies in the building, you know, chances are those are all being corrected anyways. There might be enough money in the reserve fund and they may have already been fixed. And now they're trying to go back and collect some of that money back from the developer, or they might be in the process of being fixed. Or, or if they never collect from the developer, they might have enough money to fix it anyways, it's just a question. So the building could be physically healthy. It's a question of, can they recover some of that money from the developer or from insurance or, or something like that, right? So we sort of have to try and break it down a little bit and, and see what information is available. Sometimes, you know, as you know, you know, we're doing these status certificates really quickly sometimes because there's a, a transaction we're trying to do. And sometimes we just can't get all that background information um, in time for a, for a buyer to make a decision. So that's why I say sometimes it, it, we get to the point where it's, you know, we, we just can't get enough information. We're not comfortable. So let's pass and, and find another building. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to, you know, do that 10 day uh, condition with three days to review on status. Cause in the three days to review, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, that's, that's not a lot of time, right? Because you guys have to receive the status. You have to go through it. You have to get comfortable. You have to explain to the client. And then the client needs to understand the information. A lot of times there are issues. The first point of contact is the property manager. You know, sometimes they're hard to get a hold of. It's not like you can pick up the phone, get a hold of them immediately. You're leaving a message. You're waiting for them to, uh, to call you back. They're calling you back the next business day. Right? So it all takes time. And, uh, and, and three days is, you know, when you, when you look at the chain of cycle and, and, and really having to dig deep and get the answers that you need, uh, that's not a lot of time at all. No, it, it's not a lot of time uh, when, when issues arrive. Now, you know, fortunately, a lot of the statuses review, everything is really clean and, and there's right. no real issues and we're happy to pass that information on, you know, really quickly. So, you know, go ahead, right? Right. When we're on these buildings where there are some issues, it's like you said, it sometimes it takes time to dig down. 
And sometimes, you know, we're involved doing it as lawyers. Sometimes it's the agents just, you know, literally running to the management office and saying, you know, I need five minutes. I got, you got to explain this, show me what this means. We need some more information because we just can't get that. Right. Otherwise, we can't get them to answer an email or a phone call quickly. Yeah. And and they're really the best source of contact because the property manager would know everything about the building, right? They're dealing with contractors they're dealing with engineers. they're, They're dealing with property owners. So, you know, they really are your best point of contact if you have any questions about anything in status or, or about the building as well. And, and, and you know what, these people are, are, are there every day and they deal with these issues on an everyday basis. So, um, you know, they're a great reference source, right? And, and get to know your property manager because, um, you know, they, they can help you with maintenance issues in your unit. They can help recommend contractors that can help you out. Uh, they know when window cleaning is scheduled for, they know when there's maintenance happening in the amenities. So they're a great reference uh, uh, and a point of contact for, for everybody as well. Yeah. And, and again, like we've talked about in, on so many of the other podcasts, it's a, it's a team effort between the real estate agent and the lawyer in reviewing and the owner and the potential buyer and reviewing a status certificate you know like every, it should be in everybody's hand everybody should have it everybody should be looking at it and we're all looking to some extent for different things you know and, and, and potential buyer is sometimes focusing more on the, the rules and regulations you know when can i go swimming how do i have visitors here am i allowed to have pets are there smoking restrictions you know things like that you know lifestyle things are, are really important they got to take a look at that Rules and I second parking spot, right? I mean, where, yeah, where's the parking? Where's the night? Are pets allowed? I mean, the list, right. you know, can I smoke uh, on the balcony? I mean, right. where is the smoking designated smoking area? And I mean, I have a barbecue on my balcony or electric barbecue, or what am I allowed to, you know, life stuff. And so they got to look at that from their own point of view and, and decide whether or not, you know, that suits their needs. Like, you know, we're not, we're going to take a look at rules too to some extent but we're not going to we're not sitting down with the client and reading every rule to them to make sure they understand it they've got to take some responsibility and take a look at at the rules as, as well and make sure that it suits their lifestyle you know we can certainly point out if there's pet restrictions and and then there's different types of pet restrictions you can have you know a couple pets but of a certain size or certain breeds you know there's things like that so there's an awful lot in a status certificate to to look at and it's incumbent on the real estate agents to, to be involved in that and the potential buyers to look at it. And then obviously they need the, the proper advice from the lawyer too, because we're looking for, for certain bigger picture items. Absolutely. Now, David, I made some notes as we were going by and uh, what do you think about uh, talking about wills and estates on our uh, next podcast? Sure. Always a, a good time. Everybody, no matter who you are, should have a will and should have power of attorneys and it doesn't matter how, how much your potential estate is worth. There, I could explain that next week why it's always a good idea to have one. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's something that maybe uh, after the next podcast, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get uh, on. <laughs> well, I'll explain to you next time we do it why you should have one. I'll convince you. Let's do it. I, I look forward to it. David, always a pleasure. A lot of fun. Really look forward to these uh, uh, podcasts and, and, and just hanging out and, and talking about real estate and talking about the law and how it affects real estate. 
um, it's it's always a, a blast and and I hope that uh, um, you guys enjoy the conversation as well reach out to us David uh, and I are always available we're always happy to take your questions um, and uh, we're passionate about real estate and the law so any questions that you have reach out to us we'd love to get in contact and and chat more with you guys yeah absolutely anytime just catch us and uh, look forward to the next one David and David 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 on real estate see you guys next time have a great week stay safe everybody bye everybody